Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I am so excited, and honestly, I don't know why it's taken so long for us to share a Salesforce-sponsored show that we love called IT Visionaries. It features leaders on the front lines of technological innovation, and we've got the IT Visionaries host, Albert Chu, with us here today. Welcome, Albert. Hey, great to be here, Michael. Okay, so IT Visionaries, it's one of my personal favorites, and you've been producing the podcast for three years now. It's been amazing to watch it grow and see the caliber of guests that you've been able to feature. But for those who don't know, Albert, tell me, what is IT Visionaries? Yeah, so IT Visionaries is a show with tech leaders. So we interview CIOs, CTOs, CEOs, but everyone has to have a tech background. Mm -hmm. And what I love most about the show is we really dive into why people are doing the projects they're doing, what mistakes that they made. I think the most vulnerable guests have been the best listens. And I think that's something we've done really well at letting, giving an inside look really at some of these tech leaders, what they're up to, how they think about projects, what they do to try to solve them. Pretty fascinating stuff. I'll I'll never forget Eric Muntz of MailChimp Mm -hmm. telling us that he nearly took down all of MailChimp. And he, you know, he went mm-hmm. from a single developer developing BlackBerry apps all the way to now he oversees the whole project. And he was like willing to say, like, hey, I nearly took down the whole thing. Right. And I think it's that vulnerability to let people see the mistakes because they're building things that are not done, right? So they are going to make mistakes. It is inevitable. So yeah. their ability to recover from that, really fascinating stuff. So whether it's security, whether it's internal IT or whether it's chief technology officers building the next thing, the vulnerability, the inside stories of how they're doing this is, is what's, I think, given it legs over these, you know, these last three years. Yeah. And I think it's such a great platform to share those stories that you just don't, you don't hear. And I think everybody in the trenches of building technology has been there. They've, you know, they've, they've all been in that position that you're describing. And there's not a great place to hear those stories, to learn from your uh, colleagues, et cetera. So IT Visionaries has been amazing at, at creating that kind of opportunity. Yeah, you know, we both, I have a tech background. You currently work at a tech company. You mm-hmm. guys, some of your peers and colleagues are developers you've probably are aware of their late nights that happen. Like, I mean, it's going to happen. Right, right, right. So today we're going to hear an interview with Jonathan Lee, Director of Sports Performance Technology in the Olympic Technology Group at Intel. That's quite a title. I managed to get through that. So tell me a little bit about this interview. Yeah, so when I first saw it too, I was like, I don't understand what they do. And, uh-huh. and so Jonathan, Jonathan broke it down and said, Intel effectively is continually inventing or investing in its own innovations by applying its technology and its hardware to different things, right? And they Mm -hmm. want to prove that their processing and their products are the best. So they spun up this group specifically. He told me like it had the mission of making the Olympics more interactive and interesting Mm -hmm. through AI, machine vision, and all other types of components. And so they found out that not only could they capture stats in real time, but a byproduct of this this technology was that they could actually coach athletes in real time as well. Like coaches wanted to see the data. They wanted to see how the angle of the person's lean. They wanted to see how fast their first two steps were. They wanted to see breakdowns of how fast the person was accelerating between the first, you know, 20% of a race, the middle 50% and the final leg of the race. So what started as a way to make TV more entertaining became like, oh, okay, this is an actual coaching tool. Mm -hmm. And um, 
It says it, ju- it was just able to break down in real time things that, you know, you and I, if we were coaching sports, we could never do without this type of technology. Fascinating. Well, IT Visionaries is the place to get all this info. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That's IT Visionaries. So Albert, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now let's listen to your conversation with Jonathan Lee, Director of Sports Performance Technology in the Olympic Technology Group at Intel. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the director of sports performance technology at the Olympic Technology Group inside of Intel Corporation, Jonathan Lee. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Albert. Thanks for having me. All right. So I got to ask right out the gate. So most of us, when we think of Intel, we just think of chips, you know, things that are inside of a computer. What is the Olympic Technology Group at Intel? Yeah. So Intel has actually been an Olympic sponsor since 2017. And as part of our part of our sponsorship, we have different categories, including AI, sports performance, and uh, and the, the group that I lead is responsible for putting technology into the games related to sports performance. So that could be for enhancing and broadcast, or for for coaching and training. So the focus of, of my team really is is how do we highlight, showcase, and improve athlete performance. So give us an example of how this is playing a part. So. Because, you know, I, I don't know where exactly your role sits because you you mentioned your, for example, on your LinkedIn that you're in 3D athlete tracking or 3DAT. Yeah. Talk about how that works. What is it? Yes. 3DAT is actually a uh, technology that we developed at, at Intel for for the games. In fact, it was originally for the, the Tokyo Tokyo Olympics. And the way that 3DAT works is it's a, it's a platform that, that we developed that allows us to take standard video of athletes and then extract form and motion from, from the, that video, but without the use of sensors or special suits, just, just AI and computer vision. And so from that information, we can construct a 3D skeleton uh, of the athletes and then extract metrics and insights that, that we use to, for example, enhance, enhance a broadcast. So when you watch the, the Summer Olympics this July in, um, that are happening in Tokyo, you'll see sprinting events like, like the 100 meter. And after you see the race, uh, you'll see graphics that are powered by Intel 3DAT that help to bring out some of the stories that happen in the race. And there really are some really cool stories that you can't see until you sort of overlay the data onto, onto the race and pull out some of these cool things that are, that are happening. So give us an idea of what types of things you're going to be able to do. Because I, I totally understand not using sensors, right? It makes total sense. Olympics, yeah. you're talking about fractions upon fractions of a second, the difference between a gold medal and not placing at all. So no one's going to want to wear a sensor for you. Like when you say, hey, add this microchip. No, <laughs> right? That's right. That's all it takes for me to slow down. So you're going to use the camera and it sounds like it's, is it a standard camera? Is it a standard camera or is it a special piece of equipment that you need to use? And you say you're going to record the athlete in motion. You're going to be able to measure. Give us an idea. What are you going to be measuring? Like, uh, is it going to be angles of their arms and legs? Is it how fast they're pumping? What kind of heartbeats per minute that equates to, I didn't know what, give us an, uh, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more because I'm super fascinated. And I kind of have seen this kind of technology. I feel like with, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the sports science segments, Yeah, but those are usually done. I mean, there's quite a bit of research I'm assuming done with them. And I, I feel like there's graphics yeah, in, in a lab somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it, 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 the way you make it sound like it's, I don't want to say on the fly, but it sounds close to on the fly, live, real time. I don't know. Give us an idea of how fast this is processing. Yeah, absolutely. So the cameras that we use are standard cameras. So there's nothing actually special about, about the cameras. In fact, that's, that was important for us as a technology to develop something that was camera agnostic. 
then we, we can talk about coaching later and the just how useful it is to be able to use any camera that, that, that you bring. Sure. In the case of Tokyo for, for the broadcast, we've got cameras that are uh, about 200 meters away. So uh, they're, they're pretty far out there. They're <laughs> out of the way of any, any, any fans. And uh, they are tracking these, the, these sprinters. And we pull out a whole host of information. But what's useful from a, a broadcast standpoint are the metrics that, that uh, everyone can understand. And so what's useful for a, um, a coach or athlete is a little different from what, what, what a fan might, might want to see. So for the broadcast, we pull out things like velocity, acceleration, uh, when they hit their top speed. And then we, we, we look at that across the whole, the whole uh, 100 meter stretch there. So you can see, for example, when an athlete hits her top speed, or we can see something that's really, really fascinating, which is true for, for every 100 meter uh, sprinter. They actually, they hit their top speed and then they start to decelerate and every athlete does it. So even, even when you look at um, Usain Bolt, right? You, you see his races and he looks like he's pulling away. Yeah. And you, you think that he's like kicking it up to another gear. He's actually not, he's actually slowing down, just not as much as, as his competitors. Really, really neat stories that you just, you can't, you can't see until you, until you look at the data like that. Like that. No, that's super fascinating. Now I got to imagine, let's talk, we'll, we'll stay on the subject of the consumer side first. There's certain sports that I feel like we as humans can't really tell what's going on to the naked eye. Uh, let's use diving, for example, or gymnastics, for example, yeah. figure skating. You'll sometimes hear the commentators say like, oh, her angle was off. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's like, <laughs> that like pretty good to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So are you able to like capture in almost real time, like the angle of entry, the, you know, are their legs perpendicular to each other? All those kinds of th- like where they're holding their body. Cause I feel like when it comes to coaching, certainly that would be extremely useful. It is. Yeah. And, and we, we are, and the turnaround time for, for these can be really all depends on, on um, what kind of horsepower we, we, we throw at it. Yeah. But uh, we've tuned this technology to run super fast on Intel hardware. So like for when you, when you see the, the games, that's going to be turned around in 20 seconds, right? And that's this is nine athletes, hundred meters of data. Yeah. Every one of them, we're, we're putting them through this uh, deep learning model that we have in terms of some of these things that, that you can't see with a naked eye, which is really one of the, the cool parts about the technology. Uh, I mentioned that, that the, the technology is camera agnostic, but it's also a frame rate agnostic as well. So you can use a 60 FPS uh, mobile phone camera or 120, 240, right? Because it operates on a, a frame-by-frame basis, it's agnostic to the type of frame rate. So certain sports like, like gymnastics or, or diving, of course, those things happen so fast that you need to have that, that really high frame rate. Other activities, uh, less so. And so being able to pull out something that happens in the few milliseconds, right? Super important for, for these, uh, these athletes. You know, I'd love to hear, how did you get involved in this? Because this isn't something, I mean... Maybe I'm aging myself, but this didn't seem really like an option uh, when I was in school. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an option when I was in school either. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really cool space, to be honest. I mean, when I was in school, I, I wanted to be a, a doctor. And uh, I, I was in a life science path, and, and uh, I volunteered at, our, at the hospital. And then realized that, like, I, I actually... I can't stomach when I was seeing people in pain. So, so I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe being a physician is, isn't the right path for me. So then uh, ended up moving into uh, medical devices and worked on, on transdermal devices. So devices that actually worn on skin that uh, the first devices I worked on were continuous glucose monitors. So the idea of, of giving diabetics so much more information and data about, about their blood glucose levels than they ever had before. And so from there, you, 
I transitioned into, into the wearables space and um, I worked on one of the first wearables to give continuous heart rate from, from the wrist. And the same problem existed, which is, yeah, you have all this data, but what, what do you, what do you do with it? Right. Right. And so we, we developed things like sleep detection and uh, improved uh, like calorie and energy expenditure algorithms, but still there's more. And so that's how I got into this, this space where the thread of my career has been algorithms and AI. How do you, you capture data and then distill and, and provide that data to the end user in a way that is useful, provides some sort of insights. And so that, that's, that's kind of how I ended up, ended up here, which, it, which is you know, when we're thinking about things to do for, for Tokyo, we thought, you know, what, what are some of the, the, the coolest new technologies that we can use to provide uh, information that, uh, that hasn't existed before? So I got to ask, like, is this division of Intel or this specific application, is this more to market Intel's capabilities of, you know, real sensor compute or does like the, um, the Olympic technology group, do you guys have, is this like a investing and building technologies that other businesses are investing in as well? Because I can certainly see the utility of this in many applications beyond sports performance. Obviously, physical therapy, it might be useful. I have no idea, you know, behavioral occupational therapy. There's certainly different things where people are always trying to help people, uh, whether it's, you know, simply as you're sitting in posture, how long you've been sitting. There's probably tons of different things. Checking and making sure I can imagine like this. We obviously know like warehouse workers, uh, people that are working manual labor jobs, like having sensors to help them say like, hey, you're like stooping much. I don't know, like what are some of the use case applications or is this? whole group centered on building these technologies to kind of showcase the power of Intel and then it serves more of a service as a marketing function, or is it actually a product services function where people are investing and buying these services? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And it's a bit of both, actually. I, I think that um, the broader Olympic technology group, we put technology into the games in a, in a different, uh, bunch of different, different ways. For my team, I focused on, on sports performance. When we started developing uh, 3D for, for, for Tokyo. And then we started getting, working with, with coaches and athletes to both uh, help to collect some data for, to, to train our, our, our AI models. And then also start to work with, with these athletes. The feedback was, was, was so positive. We heard from like two or three different coaches uh, that said, this is the, this is the Holy grail of coaching. So when you, when you get that kind of feedback, <laughs> you, you think, okay, maybe we're on to something too. And, and, and just as, as you said, Albert, once people start to hear about this technology, they think, oh, you know, my, my, my industry or my, my use case could, could use that, that too. And so it, it became almost a, a no-brainer that, okay, we do have something really cool here that we should use and make available to, to other developers, to partners and, and companies that want to build applications on top of, of 3DAP. And so that, that's actually the, the next stage here for 3DAP, which is let's make this available to others. Because uh, you're right, there's applications we see in, of course, the sports science space, mm-hmm. but also home fitness. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that home fitness. There's more people than ever doing workouts at home. It would make total sense if I'm in front of my mirror device or whatever, and I'm doing a movement that I've never done before for it to be able to say like, hey, your angle is off. You need to lower your butt, like whatever the whatever the cr- critique needs to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we just talked about healthcare a- a- as well. But yeah, especially on the, on the home fitness space, you, you, you hit it on the head, which is we're all working out at home here, or, you know, even when we go back to, um, to hopefully normal, normal life soon, I'm glad that people are working out more at home Yeah, and hope that that keeps going on. And, and as you said, there's devices out there that, 
that help us to work out at home. And many of them do have do have cameras on them. Many of them do have um, a need for things like form assessment or correction or some way to, to track the track the, um, the the person working out in a way that's going to help benefit their 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 training. And I think one of the cool things about about three dot for that application is um, we actually, as part of our our pipeline, have a way to extract or infer 3D information from a 2D video. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we talked about having multiple cameras and being able to, to, to look at uh, 3D form there. But for us, we have a, a, another uh, model that we use that, that allows us to infer that, that depth information from just a single camera. Okay, so this is pretty impressive. So you could tell if I'm doing squats, for example, and I've got a head-on camera, you've developed a technology just using a standard camera. Let's imagine I'm like, like the most beat up cell phone camera. Cause I'm doing like beach body or whatever. Right. It's going to broadcast back to you and you have technology that can say like, I know the depth of, for example, my squat, what's my angle of my back because you're, I guess, measuring distance between hip. Like I'll just make up two points head and hips. Right. So like if the head and hip angle is very small, then my back has to be bent or so, so on. I don't, I can't imagine what other, because if you're not seeing a full 3D picture, how do you know if my back's straight or not? Like you, you saying you guys have modeled this out. Yeah, it's really neat. And again, it's, it's really the power of AI here and being able to first start with true 3D, 3D data, but then use that data to train a 2D model or a single video model to be able to extract that, that, um, that 3D information. And you, you described it absolutely correctly too. I mean, it, it's um, being able to, Look at things like um, the depth of your squat, but not just from the front angle, but uh, inferring it from the from 360. Now, this is super fascinating stuff. And the way you described it makes it sound very similar to like auto manufacturers and their involvement in racing. You know, why build a Formula One car? It costs like a billion dollars to run each year. But the reality is a lot of the technology that's developed on those teams does make it to consumer vehicles. Absolutely. And, uh, in Merce- you know, the adage in racing is win on Sunday, sell on Monday. And I guess it's a similar concept for what you guys are doing is as you develop these technologies, it's not clear what their use case is, but then you'll soon find that the use case is actually quite useful for many industries. It really is. I mean, you, you look at um, some of the things that we've done with, say, elite sprinters mm-hmm. or even for the broadcasts for the Olympics coming up, that's the same technology that, that's, that's going to be used for any of these other applications as well. And so a lot of innovation happens at those extremes, if you will, uh, just as, as you described, right? So it's the race car, it's, uh, it's NASA, it, it's elite athletes, right? <laughs> you develop for, for those, which are very challenging types of, of use cases, like giving feedback to, to uh, and detecting small differences for elite athletes is much harder than it is for, for us. Yeah. Right. And I, I know you, you, you work out and, and uh, I, know, I know that uh, you're active, even a, a weekend warrior is going to have bigger things to correct or, or address than say like uh, an elite, elite athlete. Yeah. They're, they're at a level where they're changing, I don't know, inches off like their steps to like create more speed or I don't know, give us an idea of, cause you, you've probably heard some of the detail from the coaches because as you're developing this technology, certainly it's not right, right off the bat. So therefore a coach is going to be like, Hey, it's useful, but, and they say something right where you guys on the sensor side are like wait or not sensor side but on the intel side are like hey i didn't think about that so we have to develop a technology to answer that question what are some of these yeah that's nice buts that you've gotten from coaches to show like the level of i guess exactness 
that they need to see and understand to further improve an elite athlete's performance? Yeah, it's interesting when you go across different different sports. How you look at something like like jumpers, so track and field athletes, jumpers, so like high high jump, long jump, triple jump. Yeah, high jump, long jump, triple, exactly, exactly. Where you're looking at much higher frame rate captures. Uh, they're looking at at, uh, at angles and uh, and incoming and takeoff velocities that are that are, again these are there's so, such highly tuned athletes that. Uh, you're looking at, at just really, really small, small differences in say how high a knee comes up or, or the angle at which they, they take off. But we're also looking at, at, at uh, uh, we had worked with, with a company called Exos that is a elite athlete uh, training facility. We work with them to help train college football players who were entering the draft and preparing for, for the combine. This year, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a combine, but there were uh, individual pro days. And we work with these athletes on on how to get faster for the, the 40 yard dash. And in those cases, you know, some of the metrics that we use are actually on, on the, um, even the relatively uh, simple side, but still very impactful. I think that that's what's cool about uh, um, the prospect for three dad, which is even what we gave Exos and, um, and these uh, uh, combine athletes was just scratching the surface of what we, what we, what we can do. So examples would be velocity, or their acceleration uh, pattern, or when they hit their top speed, then we start to uh, kind of peel away a little bit at, okay, so from run to run, this guy, you know, this, this, this is a faster run. And we say, well, oh, actually, something that, that, that we can tell is that their angle of attack, so how, how, how much they're leaning forward when, when they're running, really affects their speed. So what we should tell this guy is, don't get so upright so quickly, because you're, you're losing speed that way. So those are relatively to us, from a technology standpoint, relatively simple things to measure, but from a coach and athlete perspective, it's information that they just have never had before. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I was playing, I'm going to age myself, but in high school, one of the things that our coaches always try to get out of us playing football was false stepping. Most people step backwards to go forwards. It's a wasted step. And it's very hard for most people. This is a good test. Anyone who's listening, go Stand still, put your feet planted, and try to run fast forward as fast as possible. Have someone look at you, and almost for most people, their first step is actually backwards. Mm-hmm. It's like the first thing you do is step back to push or propel yourself forward, because that first step going forward is so uh, it doesn't feel right when you want to propel yourself. And um, anyways, people think it slows them down, but that those micro things are what people are adjusting for. And so when you're talking about this kind of stuff, probably. I remember getting coached up to not take that false step. And I thought that was the most annoying thing ever. So I got to imagine the Olympians are like, <laughs> you're unlocking this coaching for them that, that they're like, oh my gosh. You know, I was talking about how high my hand pump has to be at what angle to generate even, as you said, more speed. But that's the difference between gold and nothing. Yeah, it, it is. And it's really, it's really cool. There's things that, um, that have even developed in, in sprinting over the, over the past just several years that are. You know, outside of, of what we've done with, with 3D, but, but are things that we potentially could, could measure and get feedback on in, in the future. But even things like how, how the sprinter starts. Yeah. So in the, in the past, it, it was really this, this super powerful explode out of, the, out of the blocks, knees up, try to get into, into full gear as soon as you can. Now, as you see, and something to watch out for is, is it's a little bit more of like a, a shuffle step. Yeah. Interestingly. And so it's, it's more of a shuffle step, which then allows them to get up to, um, top speed faster, really, really fascinating things that uh, you think over the course of decades of sprinting, 
that uh, you know we, we've reached this plateau, but there's always new things to new things to learn. All right. Well, then here's the magic question. So Usain Bolt is the current world record holder for the 100 meter. I think he's the world record holder for the 200 as well. Uh, but let's let's go with the 100 because that's for sure he holds that. Is there a person who has run a race? Obviously, they didn't beat the world record, but had they applied all of the proper techniques, you guys have like with data said you would have beaten Usain Bolt's time. Has that? Have you guys done studies into that? We have, but that, that is a fascinating question, isn't it? Like if you could just assemble the perfect race from a technique standpoint with obviously the athlete that it's- Yeah, the existing athlete. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a, that's a really good question. I, um, I I don't know the answer to that, and uh, uh, but it's really fascinating to, to think about. I was, uh, so we actually have a, um, I have a former Olympian on the team. Okay. Uh, his name is, his name is Ashton Eaton, and he actually won the last two gold medals in the decathlon. Decathlon, I was, I was going to say- yeah, really cool guy to have have around. Yeah, and uh, I remember him now. Yeah, uh, so he's he's actually a, a product engineer on, on the team and, and uh, has has worked on on three dad for a couple of years now. Just super cool to have those insights. And and one of the things that he he was telling me is 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 that actually when it comes to um, to sprinters, the women usually have better form, are uh, technically better than than the men. So I'd be interested then. Uh, same question that you have, which is okay. If we could get these guys to, um, I mean, obviously they're super fast already and have yeah, yeah. great form. So I think that's something that, that only uh, someone of that caliber could could tell me. You know, they all they all look super fast to me. But um, yeah, if, if you if you could get uh, that form to be that much better, could you shave off that extra 0.2 seconds now? I think to beat uh, uh, Usain Bolt. Yeah, it's mind boggling to think that. Maybe you know it's a weird thing. Like you're just like, okay, Usain Bolt is the best, greatest athlete of all time, sprinter of all time. But the question now, now everyone's going to wonder is, I wonder if there's actually someone who could have broken his time with their current physical ability had they applied all the right technique. And then, of course, you would then say the same for Usain Bolt. Like, what would his time have been had he applied all of his perfect technique? Because I believe when he set the world record, that was in Beijing when he looked back before he crossed the finish line. And had already put his arms out like I'm. I've won. Yeah, because he, he saw no one around him. It's like I've already won this thing. I'm not gonna, you know, go all out through the finish line. I, I believe that's when he said it. I know. And that's hilarious. That it just, he uh, it was just that much, that much better that he could basically just take a start, start his victory lap about ten meters early. Yeah, yeah. He already says heads, arms wide open. He's like, oh, I've won. The other question I have is because this is in big business, and we see it now more so than ever, is in major league sports. Analytics is becoming more and more of a part of the business, right? They're using, I mean, they used to use just videographers to track every motion and movement of a person to measure, you know, player efficiency ratings and all these like variables that I don't even want to think about. Is visual tracking, I don't know what, what's, what, how would you describe your discipline? Would you call it visual tracking? How do you guys describe it? Yeah, I think uh, visual tracking is good and, and uh, just athlete tracking is, uh, is typically what we say. Is athlete tracking going to get to the point where it gets into team sports? So like, for example, one of the things that let's use football, football teams regularly do is they document what plays you run by down in situation. So they have like on their play cards, like, hey, Jonathan is, let's say the opposing coach, he's going to run a 33 power. It's third and three. He'll likes 33 power on third and three. He's a 28% chance of calling this play. And like you line up in formation. I could instantly, if I had this technology available to me, like you said, maybe I don't need 20 seconds. Maybe I can relay it to me right back. It's like, hey, these are the odds of play by formation and personnel. Just like it just spits it up. Like is team sports going to get to that level? I feel like football, it could potentially because there's 
actually an opportunity to look at something and then make a signal in like, hey, I want to counter that. Whereas, you know, soccer or, you know, basketball is more fluid. Hockey is more fluid of a game. It's harder to call plays in, but like football for sure. But I know that all the sports are using some type of tracking and analytics to measure uh, player efficiencies. Is that where this technology is going? Because I have no idea how they're doing it today. I think they're doing it today by simply rewatching plays over and over again and having people document this. So it, it would go to be super beneficial if I had the game on a DVD, load it to three dat, just be like, yo, spit this data back out at me. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a number of ways that, that, that this benefits team sports. So uh, what you just described. So tracking players on the, on the field, uh, looking at that from a, um, from a strategy standpoint, right? Using AI to, to analyze what uh, coaches or, or teams preferences uh, could be. That's a super interesting uh, use case. I think a big focus right now is player safety and, and health. Mm. And uh, this is something, actually something that we're, we're starting to explore it as well. Obviously with the NFL, the biggest concerns are concussions. Yeah. And across all sports, soft tissue injuries are, are the things that can really derail a team's season. Right. For, and that's, that's true in, in every, every sport. So are the things that we, that we can do to help to either baseline or, or monitor athletes for soft tissue injuries, either in a practice scenario or, or in, in games and help with, uh, with rehab as well. And that's actually a really exciting area for, for me, because to me, that's really what 3 dat was, was built for. You know, we, we, we talked earlier about, about just bringing data and insights to athletes and, and to uh, consumers. And I think this is where, where, where we're at with, with 3 dat, which is we built a great tool. I'm not, not satisfied with just creating a great tool. It's got, it's got to be useful for athletes. Yeah. And we know intuitively and that you can work with the, the coaches and work with the, the trainers to understand, you know, what is it that you're looking for? Because we can augment what you're, what you're doing with this technology. And so they're looking for things like, for example, asymmetries, right? So if you run, is one stride longer than the other? Or if I, if I look at you over time and look at you run over time, does your stride length change? Mm. Right. And so that can be predictive of. Yeah. Mine gets shorter because I get tired very fast. I'll tell you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's uh, you definitely kind of feel yourself when you when you're when you're first when you're first going and, and uh, all that all that pep in your step. But a, as things change, either by fatigue or by an upcoming potential for an injury. Right. Those are things that we'd want to be able to flag and say, oh, oh hold on. Right. Because let's maybe change up the, uh, the training regimen today to make sure that we don't uh, exacerbate a, or um, accelerate a, an injury. Right? Let's see if we can, can prevent that or help to rehab it before it might be kind of prehab it even before it uh, starts. Yeah. I mean, you know, this technology is super fascinating because I can see, like you said, in all these medical practical applications, especially if there get, ever gets to a point where people can just upload information as well. You know, I mean, I know, I know that that's going to require many companies to be involved in this. So my, my son is 12 and he plays ice hockey and hockey's obviously a contact sport and traumatic brain injuries are of course a bigger concern than, you know, when I was a kid growing up in the, in the nineties, like I got hit in the head playing football and I was seeing stars. Nobody asked me any questions. (laughs) (laughs) Just get back out there and play. But I also think that I've been through it, not my son personally, but his, some of his teammates, like concussion protocol testing is very I mean, it's like an opinion. You know, they ask you questions. Like, 
do you know what day it is or whatever questions they ask. And sometimes I, I joked with my wife once, I was like, how do you know, how do they, how do they know if the kid's just dumb? I think, but you would fail the test if you were stupid too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but having the ability to upload video footage, whatever, and, and I'm not saying we have the answer yet, but if there ever was an answer, like, hey, at this angle, at this speed, at this, the probabilities for concussion go up by whatever percentage. I mean, it could greatly help diagnose something that right now is, I mean, right now, diagnosing a concussion is like, it's like almost self-administered. It's it's crazy. Like, they just ask you a bunch of questions like, oh, I guess you're fine. Yeah. Just to see if, if you're, if you're coherent, if you will. And yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Ashton likes to talk about, because he obviously comes from a, a professional sports background is the cool thing about three dad is that, is that you're putting numbers and you're putting actual data to how you, how you feel. Mm-hmm. And it's just not something that, that athletes have had in the past. And, and so that's not just from a performance side, but also from a, potentially from an injury side as well. So it's exactly the way you just described, which is, I think that there's, uh, this is something that we would hopefully help to enable. It's not something that we've looked into um, ourselves, but can you put numbers, something more quantitative to a concussion protocol? Yeah. So it's not just about how are you doing? How are you, how are you feeling? Yeah. Do you feel dizzy? <laughs> Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of players because I've seen because you've, you've probably seen an NFL game where the guy clearly looks like he's he's not there. Yeah. But I feel like they know how to pass the test. Like it's a test. It's a test of questions like they can pass it. Right. It's like, can you play? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How do we get to that point where we can have that be uh, something that, that's available to to players and coaches? Well, there's got to be, of course, a business behind it. And I think there there is a business behind um, player health and safety. Yeah. And uh I think that that's, again, what, one of the things that we want to do as Intel, as sports performance team, which is how do we make 3 dad available to, to multiple developers, teams, leagues, uh, customers, right? Because, because we, can't, we can't do it all as, as, as Intel, but what we have is something really cool that like other, other companies or other, other partners, they, they may not want to spend the time or have the ability to develop out these the skeletal tracking uh, technologies, yeah. but we have it. And, you know, and we'd love to be able to work with, with a whole host of partners to be able to put this into their, uh, into their products. No, Jonathan, I appreciate you joining us today and sharing some of the stuff you're doing at Intel. And I agree with you. Like, this is the kind of stuff that I get super pumped about hearing how advancements in technology, while it's not its intended purpose, it's clearly going to have an impact, I think, in other fields, right? Medical fields. It's going to change the way potentially we help evaluate each other. I want to thank you for joining us. But before you go, Jonathan, it's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Jonathan, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you better. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So you're an avid sports fan. Did you play sports growing up? I did. What did you play? Ice hockey. Uh, Yeah. What position did you play? Goalie. Okay, so you smelled extra bad. Oh yeah, my, my, my yeah, my, my my bag, my my pads, and, and yeah, it was the worst. <laughs> Where did you grow up? So uh, originally from Chicago, but uh, moved out to to California to the Bay Area. Uh, so then I started playing a mix of ice and roller hockey. How old were you when you first moved to the Bay Area? Uh, seven. Oh, okay. So you spent most of your um, young adult, young childhood, young I don't know, teenage years, all in California. Yeah, that's correct. Cool. We looked at you up on LinkedIn and we see that you went to UCLA and Oxford. Which campus was more beautiful? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I'll have to go to Oxford because, I mean, it's, it's a thousand years old. 
but UCLA, <laughs> but UCLA is also a super nice, nice uh, campus, and the the weather is is better. In England, if it reaches like in Fahrenheit, like fifty degrees Fahrenheit, you see everyone wearing like shorts, <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and in LA, of course, I mean it's uh, it's, it's <laughs> nice almost all year round. So the first thing I noticed about going to London when I went to London was that there's like no road signs. There's no road signs anywhere. And navigating was super hard. How long did it take you before you could navigate the outer, not campus, campus is one thing, the outer areas where you knew where you were going? You know, I have a pretty bad sense of direction regardless. So yeah, exactly what you described. I couldn't even cross the street comfortably. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to look left, right, left again. I was like, okay, which way are the cars supposed to be coming from? So that, that'll give you an idea of, of my comfort level. How about today? Are you still currently a sports fan? Absolutely. What's your favorite sport to watch? I still love hockey, but uh, I think recently with the, uh, with the Warriors doing so, so well, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been basketball. But uh, I, I will... I will watch just about, about anything though, you know, from baseball, football, hockey, basketball, uh, you know, when, 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 there, when there were no live sports, I, I watched like the cornhole championships on, <laughs> on TV. Spike ball. And spike ball. I tried watching spike ball, man. It's so terrible. Like there's literally a stoppage of play every like three seconds. I don't, it's like, who watches this? I let alone play it. I tried playing with my kids too. I didn't like it very much. <laughs> yeah. Last question. This one is a little bit related to work, but, uh, if you were to give advice, someone who wants to get in, you know, like you, someone who wants to help people in the medical field, but then finds out the hard way, hey, you're not very good. <laughs> I can't stand the stomach <laughs> injuries, wound, blood, whatever. What's the best advice you would give someone that wants to help some, you know, help in the medical field, but they can't, don't have the stomach for medicine? You know, I would, I would say just, just try it. I think the fir- first thing that 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 I would say, especially for, for those who might be thinking of a career switch, or maybe it's, it, they've done, they're early in their career, but they still, they've done a lot of work on, on one field and then they want to switch to another is all that stuff that you've done is going to be valuable still. And I think there, there's this misconception in health and medicine and, and as well as um, technology in general, which is you need to be able to, if you want to be like an AI engineer, then you need to start, start with AI and do more AI and then, <laughs> and, uh, and never do anything else. But, but in reality, uh, especially when it comes to creating uh, new technologies, innovative technologies, having that, that variety of, of background is, is super useful. In fact, it's really part of what helped us to create, create through that. And, and I think for my own, my own career, I've always kind of barred from different parts of, of my background and experience to help to create and steer the products that, that we developed later, even when some of the connections were, were, were non-obvious. And so I would say, you know, think about things that you've done in the past and, uh, but just be assured that all that stuff is good and, and diversity of, of thought and, uh, and background is really the key to, to innovation. There you go. Jonathan, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionary. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for sharing your story. And yeah, we look forward to seeing some of your technology at work this upcoming Olympics. By the way, they're still calling it the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, even though it's clearly 2021. But uh, hey, I guess they've already done the logo, so they're not going back. They're not changing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Albert. That was Albert Chu, host of IT Visionaries, a podcast sponsored by Salesforce that's packed with stories and trends from leaders on the front lines of technological innovation. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Thanks for listening today.